Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Critical Chef Podcast. My name is Kelvin Cedeno, and I am the Critical Chef. Um, just wanted to say thank you to everybody for listening, for tuning in, for checking in. Uh, today, I have a special episode. This is an interview that I did for another podcast called the Chefs Can't Cook Podcast. Uh, in this podcast, we discuss... Uh, food, uh, culinary school, coming up in the restaurant business, the future of food, and some negatives and positives that we are seeing with the new generation of tastemakers, food makers, and food creators. So, uh, we will be back next week with a regular Critical Chef format episode, but I just wanted to post this so you guys can hear my thoughts on food, my career, and what I think about the trends in food. I hope you enjoy. I like the topic that you talk about because you're very um, bold and, you know, you don't care about anything, which is good. You know, so, man, thank you for taking time of your, you know, your busy day to come on the show, man. Oh, no, thank you, man. I appreciate it, man. I really do. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, I appreciate uh you having me on i like your podcast as well it's uh very interesting to uh listen to chefs who have other interests other than food and uh, just want to say once again thank you oh yeah man definitely you know because i tried to do some research on you and dude you're like a cia type of guy i'm just joking but it was it was very interesting you know i know that you wasn't you u.s army veteran which is pretty awesome man you know, and I was wondering, is this where you found the love of your of, of cooking or, or you just wanted to cook, uh, become a chef since you was a kid or something like that? Um, no, uh, I've, I would have to say, like, I've grown up around food uh, pretty much my entire life. My mother, she was a uh, waitress at a restaurant. This was a restaurant a long time ago. It was by Yankee Stadium. Oh. Um, and we were latchkey kids, so it was me and my older brother, so we would, like, go to school by ourselves, come home by ourselves, but most of the time, because I was the youngest, I would go to the restaurant where my mother worked at, and, you know, I would have my school books and just sit in the corner while she was waitressing, but then, um, what happened was the manager had told her, oh, I can't really be in here doing homework and stuff, because there's adults and they drink beer and stuff, but he can sit in the kitchen, so... They gave me like a little desk and a chair and I would just sit in the kitchen and I would watch the uh, two, uh, it was like an old lady and an old guy and they would just make food the entire day and, you know, they would come over, give me stuff to eat. And it was like, I was there for three, four days out of the week all the time, but I was always be in the kitchen. And I guess you could say that was like the first moment that I got into food. And ever since then, like I got my first job at like 14 and I think it was when I was 15, I started working in fast food. So I started, uh, I literally worked at almost, I think the most famous ones. So like McDonald's check, Wendy's oh, cool. check, Subway check, uh, Domino's check. And I did that during high school. And then when I graduated high school, I was just like, uh, at community college for a little bit. And I didn't really like it. I was like, this is kind of boring or whatever. So then my cousin, who had just come back from the military, was like, dude, just join the military. You know, you do like three years, they'll pay for school, and you can figure out what you want to do by the time you get back. I was like, all right, no problem. So I went to the military, 
Uh, I enlisted as a cook. And pretty much ever since then, I've been working in food. Um, I also, because of the education that they provided me, I was able to uh, get a regular degree, but then I also got certified in cooking. So I'm classically trained from uh, ICC, which, cool. is, which is in Soho. But now I think, I just found out yesterday they were, uh, they got bought, they uh, ICE now took them in. So it's like yeah. a a thing like that together. So that's where I've got my culinary chops. But um, yeah, I spent 10 years cooking in the military. I got out and then I did um, some time working for some private universities. I worked for uh, NYU. I worked for Columbia and then I also worked for Fordham University. And eventually I was just like, you know, I'm a young guy. I I do like cooking, but I said, you know, I'm kind of getting burnt out. So now I have like a little chill federal job, which is still dealing with food, but it's not as strenuous as... No, I totally understand right there because as for me, I've been doing this since I was 16 and I've been cooking for almost 20 years. Like literally like from, I'm classically French string and cooking. I've worked in Michelin star restaurant with celebrities seen on chefs you've seen on TV because I'm originally from uh, Florida, Miami. Okay. So I went there too, you know, to school also. And because of culinary school, so I've been like I got a degree in food, uh, culinary art and food science, you know, which is like very some. If most people don't know it, it'd be like can be very uh, intimidating, but it's not. You just got to know the science part of food, why your meat is changing color and all that stuff. But like you know, I moved to New York about like six, seven years ago because my daughter lived here, and you know, and I got lucky for me, I got a. Uh, end up working for a tech company as a as a cook and which is which is amazing but it's, it's nothing compared to working in the restaurant industry that i came from where like everything was like very as a structure and stuff like that you know so that that's how i got my start you know and i totally understand where you come from as far as like the burnout because it is this is most people don't think what we do for a living is more of a is 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 a very is a labor of love, but at the same time it takes a lot of out of you, you know, you know. So that's why I even I want to during quarantine. I've, I've been home for almost a year now, you know, for my job, and I'm like, I should start a podcast, maybe to talk about my experiences in bringing fellow cooks and chefs like yourself, and to be able to give the world a broader view from what we do. Because a lot of people have seen Food Network, they think all of us going to make it out there. All of us going to open the restaurant. All of us going to become extra. And that's not the case. Yeah, I think um, you touched on something interesting because, like, people really don't understand how hard it is to not just be a cook. I'll just say just being a cook is hard enough. But to be a chef, the amount of, like, preparation, recipe writing, testing, um execution planning that needs to be done it's like um it's it's insanity i think especially when you said like uh you you studied like the science portion of culinary um people also don't understand that that food is not only an art because i do see it as an art because it's a labor of love but it's also science like we 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 understand heat we understand temperature we understand reactions to like, for example, like a Maillard reaction, you say that to a normal person, yeah. they go, what is that? And then you what say, well, that? you know, it's the caramelization of the crust on the meat. Like, 
you know, hand, how to handle meat, how to handle chicken, how to handle fish, like all these things, they're, they're so minute and they take, they have so much detail that people really don't understand. And, and I'm not glad that the pandemic happened. You obviously know how I feel about the pandemic. I think a lot of people yeah. who know me know how I feel about the pandemic, but I'm happy that people finally understand how essential not only restaurants are, but just the food industry industry period. period. And this is all the way down to the farmers, all the way down to the growers, the people who make seeds. Like all these people are so important to bringing food to your plate. And I think for me, that was one of the things that I enjoyed most as a chef was that my connection to food was so close that you know, I was so immersed in it and it was such a beautiful thing to meet people and meet these purveyors and go to these showcases and see this interesting stuff that's being done with food. But on the flip side, you know, waking up at two in the morning because you think you forgot something on your Cisco order is not, um, how would you say, uh, the best for, yes. your, for your mental health, if I would put it like no, that. No, no, I totally understand because like, I'm, I've worked almost every single person in my life experience. I work every single shift. I think there is to be in a, in a restaurant. I used to work for a, a five-star, five-diamond hotel back home. And dude, uh, I promise you, like I worked the overnight shift when people, when the overnight shift guy didn't call, didn't call out. And imagine you have to plate room service to deal with that and feed employees. I had to feed like probably 30 to 50 employees at night. And there's a certain aspect of it, like to be able to recreate food over and over and over, to be able to send it to your room and bring it back down and be able to deal with people all at the same time while the average person is sleeping in their bed. It is something to that a lot of, of us in the industry, people in the industry doesn't shed light on. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's um like you said, this is one of these things where that people don't really understand what goes on behind the scenes, which I don't blame them because it's, you know, if you're not really into that, it's not your job. Like nobody's really going to think about the process that leads to something being plated or something being made, even something like a, like a, like a gravy, right? People will say, oh, you know, this gravy is so, it's, it's amazing. It tastes good. But do you understand how long that gravy prior to even becoming a gravy had to go through? Like I had to cook a soup for eight hours then I have to strain it. Then I have to, you know, reduce it. Then I have to add a roux. Then I had to like, there was a lot of work just for that gravy. And, and people don't really get how that works. And, And that's one of the things why, like, even with this whole like pandemic kind of bothers me when people like try to call like us for like, you know, food service people heroes. Like, yeah, you're calling me a hero, but I feel like this is just another way for you to say thank you without actually doing anything for, what I'm, what, you know, as far as economically, because, uh, I think one of the things that was something you said earlier was, uh, that everybody thinks when they watch Food Network or Chop that they're going to become famous. Right. And that's not the case because when you graduate from culinary school, if you don't have the means for somebody to give you a scholarship or pay for it, right. If you just go to a six month program, that's 40 grand. If you go to a a four year program, that's, $200,000 $200,000 or even $400,000 depending on what cooking school you do you go to so you come out of this cooking school and you think like you're a big shot and then you go to a restaurant and they're like no you're gonna start at the bottom making salad and you're gonna make $15 an hour 
it's a very eye-opening experience for people like that, but it's also something that I think that more people need to speak about so that people who go to these restaurants understand what it takes to make this food and the person behind making the food. I totally agree with uh, that point of touch, that, that, that point that you're touching, because like over the pandemic, I've been home and I've been like watching social media and I've seen a lot of people like a cooks and chef are becoming out of the woodwork. Everybody can think just because they ate something, they put the pictures online and they just saying, oh, I'm a chef, this and I'm a chef. And not that I'm knocking anybody hustle. And I think it's a great eye opening for the industry. But my biggest issue in that is, is like, if you don't have the proper training, I don't care whether or not you didn't go to culinary school, but I do need a lot of people who are joining our industry to be able to get some proper training, at least learn the basics. If you don't learn the basics, like Jacques Pepin said, you don't need to be able to do the fancy stuff. And yeah. I, that's my biggest fear with uh, the new generation of, of cooks uh, coming out of culinary school. Everybody don't want to learn do this or I'm going to, I think just because I got a job, take a picture and post some food up and you're famous. And I believe social media does help the industry, but also social media disagree, you know, stick some stuff of the soul of what we really do for a living. Yeah, I I think that um, I I think that's something that you kind of maybe see in like I would say like all industries because I've heard the same complaints from other people. So uh, like I give an example, like I have a friend of mine who works at uh, he works in art like marketing, so he's an art director, and he says that a lot of the new people that he hired. Some of them, they don't want to like take criticism or put forth the effort to get to the level that he's at or be good enough. So, you know, sometimes he'll say, I don't think this pitch is good enough or I don't think this graphic is good enough or we need to change this. And, you know, the people will be like, well, no, because of this. And he's like, you know, you're in no position to give me pushback because I've been doing this for 30 years. I know what works and what doesn't. And I think it's the same thing in food where a lot of people that become famous or kind of get a little bit of buzz in the food industry. Some of them either never worked or cooked in the industry. And like you said, some of them never went through that strict, rigid process of, you know, we chef, no chef, yes, chef, okay, chef. Just, you know, essentially, I would say like, just taking your beatings till you got to the top. So like you work in a restaurant, you know how like when you first start, it's like, oh, you start on salad or, or prep. And then you see the person on the grill and like all you want to do is make it to be the grill person so you can make meat. Like, you know, you make when you're making the chops, you're the you're the man. Right. Yeah. And I think that's what's missing. Most importantly, is the grind and the I started from the bottom in food service. And then you eventually make yourself um, the, the chef that you are, because a lot of people. Uh, that started in food service from the old, I would say the old guard. They all started from the bottom. Most of them started as dishwashers and made their way up or they graduated from culinary school and then they started from the bottom and worked their way up. But like social media, I think, has accelerated those things where some people don't have to start at the bottom or some people don't even have to go to a restaurant. You see like some of these people on YouTube, they make, they get three, four million views and they're home cooks, yeah. which I don't yeah. hate on. I've seen that a lot and don't get in... Don't get me wrong, like, I'm all for innovation, the new way, the new wave of stuff. But some some of the same people that we've seen that are all these views on YouTube, 
they can't even make a proper rice, a proper dish, and you see people like literally like. Okay, I I, I was um I asked a cook once a friend a cook I used to work once this I'm like and he was making a potato dish and I was like, have you ever seen how potato grow? At least feel dirt in your hand to be able to really know what are you doing with these potatoes, how the process go, or an onion, a garlic, or mushrooms. Have you ever forage? Have you ever walked in a forest and pick up mushrooms and just try to, like, you know, I'm not saying it's fun to just pick up random mushrooms, but, like, go forage in a forest and pick up some some leaves and stuff like that and smell it and see nature. But the average people right now on the internet and everywhere else are making home cooking videos they don't know all that stuff. Everybody feel like they could go to a Trader Joe's as long as labeled organic or whatever like that, or all food, and be like, okay, yeah, I'm putting this together. But you don't know the process of that. And to me, that's something I'm dying to share the light on. Yeah, I, uh, I would say that I agree that there has been a uh, a disconnect from the way we get our food or how we make our food. And even as a, I think like as a kid, like I remember, uh, cause I grew, I lived in a farm for like, I would say like, cause I was, when I was two years old, I had to move to Dominican Republic where my family is originally from. And we lived there until I was like seven or eight. And then we came back, but I grew up on a farm and I remember like having to go catch the chicken and picking the avocados from the trees and, um, having to slit the throat of a pig and then shaving it off while and while you boil it in water, then taking it apart, cooking it down, using the blood to make sausage, like using every part of the pig. Like I remember those things and they've always stuck with me. But I think that the, I would say like people being removed from food or like understanding the production of food. I, you know, with my tinfoil hat that I like to wear, I would say it's being, <laughs> it's being done on purpose because when the production changes or when the food changes and it's being slowly taken away, it's like a frog in boiling water, right? The frog doesn't know it's in boiling water until it's too late. And I think, and I think that's the point we're at now where people are so disconnected from food. They're so disconnected from what it should look like or what it should taste like that. They're more concerned with, Oh, I'm going to post this on social media rather than knowing like, what am I eating or where is it coming from? And I think that's one of the things that, that needs to be talked about more because when you have these companies that are like producing these, you know, fake burgers or this lab 3d printed steaks or fake breast milk or artificial soy and artificial corn, it's like, okay, so what am I eating? Am I eating food or am I eating something that's not food? Yeah. I mean, I totally agree with you in that, in that aspect. Like, I feel like we human being are like, uh, disconnected from actual food production or where how things grow and stuff like that because everything nowadays is just like is i feel like right now not that i'm talking bad against vegan people i feel like right now we're in an era where there is a there is a we're divided in the food industry is either you're vegan or you're a meat eater and and now company are like uh, really try to debate that there's a try to walk that fine line to to identify hey where do i want to go do i want to go to future is the future is vegan or is the future is meat so um, there is something that like 
I'm always reading, try to read about new innovation of food and stuff like that, which is good. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, I feel like we need, as a human, need to scale back a little bit on the trend and be able to eat food that are healthy for us and that are good for our body instead of like taking stuff away from our body and making the assumption that, oh, yeah, I stopped eating this. I feel better, but without no proper knowledge of it. Well, I think, well, I th- personally for me, um, there's like a joke in my close circle of friends where everybody's like, oh, Kelvis, you hate vegans. <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. and, and I tell them I don't hate vegans. I, I, I dislike vegan propaganda. And what I think is happening is that, and, and this is, I think, something that's you see in all sectors of society. It's political, it's in food, it's in streetwear it's in music art whatever you want to, it's in everything right it's the i think the politi- politicization but also the moralization of everything where everything has to have some type of moral tilt right so you see a lot of people who become a vegan because morally they feel bad that these animals are being treated in such a way and they say that greenhouse gases and the environment that it affects the environment more than anything else but a lot of people don't know that you can get your pork chop or your chicken or your fish or your steak that is sustainably done, that is renewably done, that is not filled with chemicals, with probiotics, with steroids, with GMOs. You can get these things. Obviously, you're going to have to pay a premium, and that's the problem where they're making it so expensive where people just buy the other stuff. But to just like you said, to just say, oh, I'm just going to not eat this at all, where you have to do both to be healthy. It's just people being moral where they say, well, I feel better because all I eat is vegetables and you're eating that poor cow that died. But then what if I was to tell you, hey, this cow that I, this steak that I bought, I got it from a farmer who they graze one type of grass, they're free range, non-GMO, no steroids, no antibiotics. What is your argument for that, right? But some people, even if you make that argument, they don't, even care because their side is right. They're on the side of you shouldn't eat this because it's bad for the environment and because it's evil. But that's not necessarily the case because this type of idea didn't come around until the last, what, 40, 50 years. And like you said, I'm all about change. I'm all about food science and like these great things that they're doing. Like I think vertical farming is amazing. I think uh, sustainable uh, like fishing is cool. But that still, I think, needs to be worked out a bit. And you see, I think, more ranchers that are kind of coming around that are having more of a respect for the actual animal. And I think rather than just saying, oh, we need to get rid of this completely, we, why don't we just say, well, we need to fix this and make it better so that it's better for people and people can actually have what they want. I mean, yeah, I totally agree with you on that on that aspect because, like, just like you, you know, you say you grew up in the Dominican Republic, and you and I share uh, an island together. I'm actually Haitian. Oh, okay, I'm uh, I'm on the other side of the border. I grew up uh, when I was a kid. I remember um, my dad used to take me uh, out of the countryside, and you know, I remember we used to my grandfather used to take me on the field, you know, stuff like that, and on the farm and see, I see a cow, just like the same experience that you, you experienced. I've experienced it all as a kid. But my thing is, it's just like, I feel like you said, again, we're going to go back in the, in the disconnection of a human being. I feel like this generation does not know what, like, I, and also like, 
the part of one thing that drives me nuts is when people are saying, "Oh my God, why are you killing a poor animal? Then why are you banning uh, Peter gonna ban uh, a rancher uh, uh, because um, they cook a piece of bison?" I don't know if you ever read this story. There was a story in, um, I think, uh, New York Times, um, Washington Post, a few years ago. This guy in Canada, he owned a restaurant, and it, it, it because he was butchering a deer live in his window, but he didn't mind. He was doing his mind, his business in his front, in his in his window inside the restaurant. There's this lady who saw it, and she got mad at that. And it was a big deal about it to the point where they was trying to make him close his restaurant. It was like, I, I didn't violate no right or nothing like that. I was just, I'm doing what I, because the lady said like, yeah, that was very insensitive of him to butcher an animal live in front of people. I'm like, but have, have you ever seen the way uh, uh, people cultivate grain, certain grain all over the world? Uh, yeah. But nobody talk about what's going on in Peru when they cultivate quinoa. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of people, uh, they, 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 it's like cognitive dissonance, right? So they just want to believe what they want to believe. And I've even when I have this conversation with people who I know that are that are vegan, some people who aren't vegan, and I tell them like, you know, do you understand the difference between like nutrients in food and then a nutrient dense food? Do you know the environmental e- impact of soy, for example, how it destroys crops, how it kills crops? You know, or crops lands. For example, I love avocado. I think avocados are great. But does anybody really think about the amount of water and land that needs to be used for avocado? No, people don't really think about those things. And um, yeah, that story with the I I did hear about that story with the Toronto. I think he's from Toronto. Yeah, they did like a, they did like a whole protest, and he sat there and cooked it and ate it in front of them. And like I watch um, do you watch that show on Netflix, Meat Eater? And I, uh, isn't my cue to watch, but I'll definitely take a look at it. Yeah, um, you should watch it. My wife, she she doesn't like the show because she thinks that they're just like hunting for for fun. But I told her, I said these guys really eat the stuff that they're eating, and I think everybody should watch that show because it 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 really shows you the people that actually care about nature and respect nature, the way they treat these animals. Like these guys, you know, they'll kill a buck or something. And instantly they get to work to, you know, cutting it and breaking it down because they always say, oh, we don't want to spoil any part of this animal. We want to use the whole animal. And they use, you know, the fat for oil. They save the the uh, the hooves and the innards to make soups. They use the meat. They use the entire animal. And, you know, they're doing a whole thing. And they take three, four, five days just to catch that animal. But that one animal will last you five six months. months yeah you know and i know it's a meme where like the whole joe rogan thing where he's like oh have you ever eaten elk meat yes i've had elk meat and you know what it's fantastic and i wish i could fucking go hunt elk because you know that meat that one elk is gonna last me six months but i'm in the middle of new jersey but you know <laughs> it if if people understood like that you can still do these things but just in a way that make might cost a little more it might take a little effort I think the the paradigm will shift because I personally don't think I know that there's like this future where people are gonna have like lab grown steaks and three D printed meat and all this other stuff. But I don't think that will become the norm because people, even though they're disconnected from the food production, a person still knows what a steak looks like. And obviously they don't know as a steak as well as me and you do with marbleization and fat buildup and stuff, but they know what it looks like. 
So if you're going to give me a red piece of steak, I'm going to eat that. But if you try to sell me some gray lab printed thing, I'm not going to buy it. I totally, I totally agree with you in all those aspects because like, it's, it's all about, like I said, it's all about doing, living a uh, carbon footprint. And, you know, living is more about like living this place a little bit better than we found it. Because that's my whole thing. I, I, like I, it, for me, when the quarantine first started, I used to be like, oh, freaked out and stuff like that. But and quarantine has taught me a lot, you know. It's you know from like I want to shift this to a, a different aspect from like mental health, and it's one of, it's one of those things in our industry that I feel like that is like we put a cloud over. Now it's starting to get talk a little bit, but mental health to me is a major issue. Is a big thing to me like i'm telling you if i could if i was a millionaire i would donate millions of dollars to mental health not for cooks or chef but but everybody in the world because i feel like a lot of us have some sort of like you know chemically or something imbalanced you know i don't know how we started but we all as experienced some type of mental breakdown and I feel like I just really need to shed more of a light. We have more sort of help for, for cooks that are the industry. Oh yeah, like <laughs> um what what's the what's the, the for example, uh the uh Anthony Bourdain book or uh, oh I uh, no reservation. No 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 not for the the first one, Kitchen Confidential. Kitchen Confidential, I have, I have a copy of Or that. even um is it is it Michael White's book? Which is it burned? I think that's the name of it. Yeah, Michael White. Yeah, you're correct. That's yeah. correct. So like when people read those books, right? They're like, oh, look at these hard charging, badass chefs who stay up all night and smoke cigarettes and do drugs and do this and this. And you're like, you know, the movies and the media, they like to make it seem like, oh, look at this badass rock star chef, right? But it's like, bro, listen, if everybody from your prep cook to your garmanger to your, you know, salad, to your uh, state uh, lead guy on the line for uh, appetizers, to your grill guy, to your sommelier, to your sous chef, your chef, your waiter, everybody. If everybody in that restaurant is smokes cigarettes or drinks beers after work or alcohol or does some type of upper to keep them going during a shift, it's not that these people are some like low life, so that the food industry you know, attracts the lowest form of people. It's that being in the food industry is a fucking, excuse my French, is a difficult... No, no, go ahead, man. Feel free. It's a difficult job. It's back-breaking work. People really do not get it. Like, to stand in front of a 400 or 450-degree heater all day cooking, or to fucking sit there and have to fry all day, or to sit there and prep all day, or, you know, bring in a... You know, people who don't work in scratch kitchens... You know, there are some restaurants, like, you know, I worked at a restaurant, uh, Mayalino, which is over on 23rd Street. They used to get whole pigs, and we would have to saw the whole thing off ourselves and take it apart and season it and salt it. And, like, there's so much work. And like you said, you work so, it's so much work, so many hours. You work the holidays. You work the weekends. You work the brunch. You work everything to the point where you, where you like, you start living at the restaurant. And it's 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 really it does take a toll on your mental health. And I think there's a lot of cooks and chefs who have probably dealt with mental health issues. And that was one of the things with me. Like I was when when I left and I said, you know what, I can't do this anymore. I was working 70, 80 hours a week. And I was like, yo, dude, I'm burnt out. Like I can't. 
couldn't do it anymore. Like even to the point where I got sick. Like I I got uh something happened where I had gotten a parasite mm. in my stomach, and I think over the course, because at that point I was a uh, very because you know being in the military you work out, so I was very into heavy like weightlifting. So I was like two hundred and fifteen pounds, and in a month I lost thirty five pounds. Wow. combined with like the parasite and the stress and everything and it even that to the point where I just got home one day and I told my wife I said you know I can't do this anymore and I just started looking for a new job and then like three months later I found where I'm at now which is have been a complete 180 on my mental health but like you said it's there's a lot of people don't talk about it and I think we should focus more on that in the industry and and that's why like you know when um I was looking at your website, I mean, your podcast kind of like influenced me a little bit to start my own podcast because I was listening to a podcast and I'm not going to put the name of it. I was listening to a chef when actually a chef was older than us was talking about the industry. It was conveying messages to cooks, but the way he was doing it, it was, it sounded horrible. It was, it was inhumane. And I was like, I got to do better than that. And when I started researching for podcasts and I heard yours, and I listen to a, a lot of your episodes. Some of them, yeah, for people that don't know, will be controversial. But hey, to each his own. But some of the stuff that you talk about, like as much as a hard pill to swallow, I do understand where it comes from and the aspect of you coming from. And I'm and I'm always wanna ask you this: What make you name your podcast a critical uh, chef podcast? So, um. That's a it's it, that was actually like a brainstorming session um with my wife um like my wife is uh I would say my best friend so she we talk about everything she helps me with everything she has a very good eye um but we were just talking about stuff and we we had a bunch of names it was like 20 names and then we whittled it down to the critical chef and I think she's more to blame for the name which I give her the credit which is great but uh the the word critical is that uh my whole life, essentially, I've been like this. Uh, I'm very, like, grading. Like, I understand that I could get on people's nerves because uh, my closest friend always says, like, you will go counter culture just to be counter of the culture. So the sky could be blue. You'll say it's pink just to say it's pink. And he does have a point. But uh, for me, mostly, it's just I've, like I've always questioned everything. I've always been like that. And more so because of the way I grew up where... I was a child. I, I tell everybody, like, not that my mother was a bad parent because she wasn't, but I tell everybody, like, I grew up in front of the TV. So I spent a lot of my time just watching movies, watching literally anything that was on the TV. Like, I would watch Twilight Zone, fucking, you know, Tales from the Crypt. I watched, <laughs> what, Scarface when I was eight. Like, I didn't care. Like, I was just, wow. you know, just, just, you know, so much media. That I was just like, you know, these people, they just put all this stuff out here and they make up whatever they want. So, like, is everything that we discuss real? Like, what's real? What's not real? And my older brothers have always been into, like, conspiracy theories and stuff. And when I was, like, 12 or 13, they red-pilled me very early. And, you know, 9-11 is this and the government does this and, you know, World War II happened. They, you know, they would just tell me all this crazy stuff. And, you know, I've always been this type of person where you do your research, you question the, the things that are told to you and you verify it and if it passes the verification then that's then it's the truth if it doesn't pass the verification well there's an alternative theory 
And both of these things could be true, but you just don't know yet. And I think even in food, like for me, uh, I was French trained. But for me, I don't really cook like that because I believe that food is like, food should be simple. And not to like, I don't, I don't want to throw a shot at you. But like sometimes I feel like, you know, like food science, some of the stuff they do. To me, some of the stuff I think is like too unnecessary. But I, I can see, I can see where, you know, it's not doing you. I see where you can, you, you said what you said, and you know, like because I do believe I do. Sometimes I do believe, even though when I do the research, when when I like, for example, uh, I got a sous vide machine. I've been using sous vide machine, which is I love. Oh, that's machine. that's the best, bro. I, I got an ANOVA from my girlfriend got me an ANOVA for Christmas and this stuff is like I, I had to teach her how to use it until they explained to her. I always wanted to get one one of the best innovation in food science that people never seem to understand about it. But if you use it properly, it's the best thing for you. But if you use it wrong, it could kill you. People never thought about that. Did you know that if you CV vegetables, meat, and you leave them too long in the water to look too temperature when the meat is cooked, it could cause bachelorism. But people doesn't know about that. It's like a, it's like can when you have something in a can, when you shake it too much in the air, the bubbles and all that stuff. You know, did you know if you sous vide vegetables for too long and stuff like that, because of their gases that they have in there, all that stuff, you eat it, even though you cook it, it could kill you. Now, um, just real quick though, like when you do your sous vide, are you a person who does like uh do you do the sear after or are you a reverse sear sous vide? Because I know there's some uh, people that there's like a argument about whether you should cook the meat before or cook the meat after. Like what's your... Uh, my, basically, the meat is actually cooked for the record. Like people need to totally understand that because once you put in that water bath, I, I, even though you keep it at a certain temperature, the meat is cooked already because like it might not be cooked as fast as you want it, but it's cooked. But meat... I do uh, sous vide first, then sear the meat. Okay. It depends what I'm cooking. For example, yeah. I made I made oxtail and sous vide because so I, I don't have a pressure cooker, so I was to break it down. I do like uh, 16 hours. And what I did is just like after I finish, I use the braising liquid, and then I cook it in a pot. I mean, I heat up the the liquid in the pot and just to bring the temperature slowly. But is but if I'm cooking a piece of steak. I will not sear it first. I will sous vide it with the rosemary, garlic, thyme, and all that stuff. And then when it's done, I will, like, you know, sear it, give it that nice caramelization. And to me, that will be done. Oh, yeah. That, that sous vide, like you said, it's one of the great inventions. I think, I think a lot of rest, like, uh, five star high key, like, high end restaurants use the sous vide. And, like, I remember. The rest, the last restaurant I worked in, the sous vide machine. We had two of them, and if one of them went down, it was like fucking red alert. This I thing know. is gonna go. Everything's gonna break. Like, no, we don't have the sous vide machine. And it's like, wait, wait, wait. We still know how to cook. Like, yeah, no, okay. That that, that, that is one of the things that, like, um, first of all, I'm not naming the company I work for because, like, it's super confidential. Not that confidential, like top secret stuff, but due to you know, trouble I could get. Yeah. But where I work at, we have uh I know you know what's the rationale is. Oh uh, what was that? I'm sorry? A rationale oven. Is that is that like the combi oven or is that 
a rational oven is basically like uh, uh, imagine you had a sous vide machine uh, oven. Sous-vide oh, machine. it's the huge one, the huge sous vide machine. Yeah, it's not a sous vide machine, but it is an oven. It's like a twenty to fifty thousand dollar oven. It could do everything that you want to cook can do. Literally, you want to sear a piece of steak, you could grill inside the oven. You could once that machine I work to uh, my company when we work at if it break down, a lot of the people that I work with, some of them. It's like shit, shit going going crazy because people don't know how to cook. It's not that they don't know how to cook. I think like they rely on this oven and machine, you know, uh, for so many for so long, which is great convenience. Don't get me wrong, but my then also this is the thing that I want to teach the younger generation of cooks, dude. You yes, great innovation of of cooking product and this uh, equipment is great, but. You learn the basic. Learn to cook rice. You don't need a pressure cooker to. I mean, uh, a rice cooker to cook rice. You could actually do it. The measurement is all there. All you, all you could put in the oven. You could bake it. It will cook. It will just, is That's where my science and all the stuff come from. And and the same thing goes back to what you say. Where you used to work at the TV machine goes wrong. Everybody like, yo. You know, you still couldn't make that perfect sear steak that you want. You know, properly. You know, we're at the machine. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the, so the rationale oven, uh, we call it a combi oven. That's in mm-hmm. the that's in the military. We Because I know that there's the there's the smaller one and then there's the tall one that stands. And like, yeah. you, and like you said, that machine is amazing. It literally steams, broils, bakes. That shit does everything. It's literally, I will say yeah. it's worth the money. But like you said, a lot of people in the kitchen, they don't. They kind of don't know how to do certain things without um, certain, uh, I would say, items. But uh, that kind of fits to everything that we're talking about. Where like, you know, things are. I think things are evolving at such a quick rate, especially in the food industry, because now you have uh, these things called the ghost kitchens, which came. Yeah, I read, with, I read about that. Yeah, which came out of the pandemic. And now you have all these meal prepping services and people are getting their food delivered to their house rather than going in person because of COVID. And, you know, it's like the COVIDization of everything. And and especially with something like food, that really, like, bothers me, the COVIDization. And, 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 and I'm not, like, a big anti-masker either, but it's just, like, like I, I can't – it, it kind of bothers me to see, like, cooks with masks on because, like, I already know how hot and annoying it is in the kitchen. Oh, and then you got a, a mask on top of it. Like, bro, like, that is Especially so annoying. You have jacket if you're wearing a Oh, man. Coat. You have that. You have the grill steamer. And um, your body temperature, literally – I remember one time I had my thermometer. It literally registered – it was so hot. I was sweating, and it was registered – no bullshit, 170 degrees. <laughs> literally, like my thermometer. Literally, it's not like the digital one I had, like the old school one. Where, oh, the, like, the big know, one, yeah. Where you have to like literally, like you know, shocking in cold water for it to you know to calibrate it in hot water or something. Like that. And that shit was like registered. I was like, what the fuck? And dude, and dehydration and exhaustion. The body take a beating. And this is the thing about the industry. And as much as I talk like that about the industry, I love it. I wouldn't change my experiences if nothing in the world. I believe that's what makes me who I am. But I'm at the point where in my career where I'm like, I want to be able to share my, you know, my, not pain, but 
what I've experienced with the younger generation that's coming up, you know, and to tell them, listen, you know, if, if because I have this idea in my head, like I want to teach, but when I go teach, if I go to either whether I go teach in a culinary school or wherever, my first day, and I always have this vision in my head, I want to write, why do you want to become a chef? What drives you to do this? Thing? And then I want to break it down to them. I'm like, all that stuff you're going to learn, get it at your mind. Because this is what really you're going to experience. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not anti people who are like, oh, I want to be a chef because I want to be famous. Like, if that's, what you, if that's your goal, fine. I'm not going to hate. You know, if you want to have the cookbooks and the videos, cool, fine. Give it to you. Um, but like you said, like, you know, what's really the reason you became a cook? Like, I, I happened to become a cook just by happenstance. Like, I, I was going to be, I thought I was going to work for, like, ESPN and be, like, a broadcaster or something, right? And I just ended up falling into food because it was just something that I knew. And and like you said, like, people really need to, like, this all this other stuff where it's like, I'm going to do this fancy stuff, I'm going to make this, I'm going to make that. At the end of the day, 90% of the cooking that you do, it's really simple. And people think that you're always going to do this fancy stuff. And you, it doesn't, it, a lot of this cooking is not fancy. It's just understanding timing. It's understanding heat and it's understanding flavor. But to be able to do it and put it together in a way that makes sense, that's where you got to like bust your chops and you got to work in the kitchen and you got to see what works and what doesn't and how this actually operates and how it doesn't. And, and I, and I have no, uh, connection or don't understand how it is now that cooking school is going with COVID, but I, 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 it's probably, they've probably changed the curriculum of added things that me and you probably don't even know about because we've been out of school for so long. Yeah. And I was like, and, and I, I have a lot of people ask me this all the time. If you had to do all over here, would you go to school for cook, for cooking? No. I will not go to college. <laughs> agreed, agreed, one hundred percent. I will not go to college. Well, you know what I'll do? I will work under somebody who's, uh, which I had a great opportunity, which I had a great mentor in Florida. Uh, will get my first real job in a hotel, National Hotel. Uh, shout out to Frederick Delaire. He's like the big head chef at the Lowe's Hotel down there. And I, I see this in myself. I said, I will not go back because you know why. I will one one thing I will do different is learn and travel and learn from different chefs from my travels because books and not watching TV and stuff like that and if I feel like if you're not in that country you can never experience what it's really like to eat that dish. I mean that's my thought process. People always say like the best pasta business. If you don't go to Italy to experience the best pasta. Even somebody come back to New York to learn how to make pasta. There's certain nostalgia that you have connection with the food that you eat when you're actually in the actual place where you was born. Like for me, I've been to France and I've ate French food, like a lot of French food. That's, I'm telling you, man, I'm big French food stuff. I had beef bourguignon in France and I did a restaurant here in the United States. Totally different. It could not come close. The technique was there, but hands down, the there's I I don't think you under I I don't know if you understand where I'm coming from with this. No, yeah, uh, it's 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 more like uh, 
that type of cooking or, or that type of style or that type of technique has been ingrained so long in society or in that society, in that culture, that they're just better at grasping or understanding how to make it. Like you could learn the technique, but at, like, for example, like you have restaurants that make, for example, Olive Garden, right? Olive Garden is one of the biggest pasta places in the world. Is that real pasta? No, 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 it's, it's, no, it's not right. So it's not the same pasta that you would get if you went to Italy and got handmade pasta or handmade gnocchi or, or something that was made by like an old lady who's using a family recipe that's been around for 90 years. It's the same thing with like Asian food. Like if you order um, General Tso's chicken in America, OK, they know what that is. But I want you to go to China and go to a restaurant and ask for General Souls. They're going to look at no, you like you're fucking crazy. They even <laughs> had a documentary about that. And I watch it and I die laughing. Yeah, they don't because know what that is. That don't even, not even exist in, in Chinese cooking. And Chinese cooking is so diverse with so much history and behind it. It's the same thing with Japanese food, too. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people like have this idea, this grandiose idea that like uh, Japanese food is is um, is easy. It's nothing but sushi. But Japanese food is so much complex and so much, you know, susceptibility from farm to table type of thing that they do from different region. Like, it's crazy, man. Yeah, people, I think, like you said, like, you gotta be able to travel to places to see how they make the food. But I do agree with this idea that like, if you ask me again, would I pay the 40 grand that I paid to go to ICC? Would I, I would I like do it? Hell fucking no. If I would have known that was the case, I would have just popped into a restaurant and be like, yo, I need a job. And I would have probably done more and learned more. But you know, I came with experience. Like I just went for a certification just so I could like be official official. <laughs> I but th- but I totally agree where you come to sure. But in that aspect, uh, the idea that um, don't get me wrong, I'm not knocking college students off or nothing because I went to college too. But my thing is like in our industry, do you really need a diploma to really be official? Because I I work for Emerald Lagasse, and. When I work at Emeralds, when I because he's the one because my story is they give I was in detention as a kid and in school they give me a food and wine magazine and I saw it, bam, I already saw it. That's how my the 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 light went on my head. Yeah, the Emerald Agassi never went to culinary school. That's that's the idea. He went to Johnson and Wells and apparently he was smoking pot in in his dorm room and they kick him out 20, 30 years later and they give him things. But a lot of famous chefs that I know never went to college school. I'm not saying, not that I'm saying college school is bad, but I'm like, maybe we need to rethink how how we approach what we need in the industry. Because if it's for the money standpoint, if you think your your culinary degree is going to get you uh, more money, more this, man, you got to really think about that a little bit. I mean, that's, that's my perspective. No, I, obviously, at, in food service, we you don't need a diploma because how many? For example, you you look at the uh, the taco truck in Queens that's like super famous now, like La Bria. The guy who runs La Bria, he was a dishwasher. 
that's how he got his start in restaurant business. He was literally a dishwasher, and now he's got two big food trucks in the city that make a buku amount of money. Uh, but I think what's happening is that once everything got standardized, right, like, obviously America copied from the French system, where the French have had their cooking system in place till about since the 1800s. But since, you know, America loves to capitalize everything, it's it's a money pit. It's a huge, huge advantage because you have all these food companies that are ingrained within these schools. And it's like when you graduate food school, they get you a job, but they get you a job in one of those restaurants that donated to their school or they get you a job where a chef who was a famous alumni now has his own place and then they send you over. Like it's, it's, it, it's essentially kind of creating a pipeline. Whereas if that pipeline wasn't there, they probably can't guarantee a certain number of bodies entering the restaurant workforce, which is kind of like what I'm thinking it might be. And I think that people who want to go to culinary school and like, once again, I'm on the same track as you where I don't want to knock culinary school because it does teach people good skills. But yeah, I think it teach you how to how about the business aspect of food industry. It teach you how to make uh, order sheets and other stuff, you know, how to, you know, keep your costs down. But it, it but the, the the way that you graduate culinary school it, it, is nowadays it's just like six months in, you get in, you get out. Yeah, and that and that's the thing. Like I think people need to just be careful with the amount of money they're gonna spend on a program. Cause I'm even wary of like two year programs like Johnson and Wales or like uh what's the one up there in Poughkeepsie or wherever in Hyde Park? Which one? Which was the name of that one? The famous CIA. Yeah, CIA. Like, dude, two hundred fifty thousand. And then you see the stories where, like, these schools are being sued because they the, the students felt like they were robbed because oh, what you thought you was gonna come out and you were gonna make, you know, seventy eighty thousand off bat? No, bro, you gotta get paid ten twelve dollars like everybody else. You starting from the bottom. I know. <laughs> I mean, okay, and also like before we wrap this up, I want to yeah. say, what are y'all? Do you feel like, I mean, you've been in the military, you achieve all those things. Do you feel like you you uh, successful in your career? I mean, have you achieved success? Do you feel like you have achieved success? I think as far as my career, I think I have been able to achieve success because uh, I was able to harness at a very young age uh, a good amount of experience uh, for somebody my my age bracket. I'm tw- I'm 31, right? So at the age uh, of 31, yeah, me. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, I am. Oh, okay, but what? Like, uh, I'm 31, right? So for me, at the age of 31, to have already over 10 years of experience is is something that's remarkable. But also the fact that, like, in the military, at a very young age, at like I think it was like 21, I was put in charge of kitchens. So I think for me to have that experience is something that, you know, I don't take for granted. And where I'm at now, I'm happy because it's less hectic, but it's kind of interesting because, you know, I got away from like the scratch kitchens and ordering and inventory and menu and recipe, like doing all of this stuff to where now where I'm working at we're kind of trending in that direction where everything's going to be modernized and it's going to go to scratch and menu and all that stuff. So I feel comfortable where I'm at. And I think for right now with my career, I'd have to say like, as far as making food, cooking food, 
uh, the nerves or the anxiety that you get in the kitchen is not there anymore. Like, I feel very cool, calm, and collected. Like, I feel like I can walk into any kitchen and I know what I have to do. And I think that's the most important thing is reaching a point in your career where you, like, feel comfortable as a chef and being able to trust yourself. Like, even, like, even small things. Like, the other day I went to visit my mother and she's like, can you tell me what's wrong with this soup? And, you know, my mother's been cooking for over 40 years. And then for her to ask me to, like, fix her soup, which I did, was something that I was like, damn, like, this is what, this is what's important. This is what yeah. all the work is doing where like, I can tell from the beginning that this is missing garlic and salt and rosemary and thyme and this, and then like, you need to do this. Like, and all my friends who hit me up and I still have people who used to work for me that contact me for like asking me for information and how to do things. And I think like, I, I would say, yes, my career has been successful. And I think that anybody that's in the food industry the one thing I will say is the one way you will be successful in the food industry is by always being humble. True. Always be That is something humble. I totally agree with. And I feel like um, we need to, us in the food industry, need to be a little bit more of a, more together in terms of like not push each other down like crab in a barrel. Mm-hmm. But I feel like in the industry that, in this, I mean, where I, where I come from, in my industry, I always believe that I learn as much from a dishwasher to the head chef, mm-hmm. and we need to to need to convey that in the industry because look at right now in COVID, they got so many cooks and chefs who had jobs, and now for you to get a job, you gotta know that did you do good by somebody in the past for you to because now your your degree your all your skill doesn't matter. It's mm-hmm. who it's not what you know, it's who you know. Yeah, agreed. It's like if you have a spot, who can get you a spot? Because if you can't get a spot, and like you said, if you weren't humble, nobody's gonna want to work with somebody who didn't want to listen. Like yeah. like everybody's gonna have their days where their fucking um their sauce for their ex Benedict keeps breaking or you know, where uh, you're trying to make a pastry, but the temperature in the room doesn't allow you to, like, fluff up the dough enough. Like, there's always going to be a day where you're not going to be the best person in the room. And I think that's one thing that we need to focus on, that being a chef is, I think, like any other craft where you consistently have to work on it and you have to be humble. Because if you're not humble, then people are not going to work with you. And I think that kind of energy comes out in, like, the way the food looks and the way the food tastes. And also, one thing that, like, before we wrap up, I like to say is just, like, being a cook, being a chef, and it's one of those jobs that you never stop learning. You're still a student forever and never until you retire. There is no no fancy 401k. There is no go watch you're going to get when your time comes. It's more <laughs> of a, like, no, nah, it's the truth. Yeah, it's true, yeah. There's no... There's no fancy, yes, you could have all the plaque and all accolade and stuff like that. I want this is for, and also, we need to honor more women in our industry too. Because Evan knows a male Dominic, I have a daughter, and I wanted to know that for the future is women. And we in this is one of those industries that I'm a big advocate for women, not because they're a pastry chef, no. They are badass women who cook amazing dish, and not the, I'm not talking about the famous women chef. I'm talking about like the up and coming, the girl 
that goes in culinary school right now is looking at and say, I want to do this. I can do this. I, I hope that all of us can treat them with respect and treat them equally, equal pay, equal everything. Because I believe the future is them, is women. Yeah, as far as, yes, I would say that, yeah, we do need more women in the kitchen. They are, a lot of them are better than the men and they're more disciplined. They're smarter. They're like, the, some of the, like no. you said, some of the best people I've worked with in kitchens are fucking women. Like, I, I will agree with that. They are fucking nasty. If you got a girl who's in the kitchen, she belongs there. Like, that spot wasn't, like, given to her because she knows somebody. No, she earned that spot. She earned it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also, that's what sucks about it. Our industry is just like, we so it's such a that's why you heard about all this over the I'm not to be controversial that's why you heard about all this lawsuit over the past few years and with uh you know the famous chef and stuff like that is because dude you know we we put it make the our industry sucks in terms of like we put is make it turn so many male dominated stuff like that and which is like not giving making it equal playing field for women. And they see a lot of company now that like a diversifier, adding more women to the to the leaderboard and stuff like that. Like from sports, you see the Kansas, uh, I believe Kansas City Chief uh have a woman, I believe if I'm correct. And the NFL recently had their first uh women head referee for the Super Bowl. I was oh, excited yeah. about that. Now, no, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's it. I was excited about that because you can see a change in, in, in the spectrum a little bit. Yeah, and and, and uh, even just going a little bit just further on that, I would just like to say, like, yeah, uh, the food serv- the food industry is changing. I think there are some people within the food service industry who have, like, kind of maybe nefarious purposes or they want to push their own agendas. But I think at the end of the day, a huge, I would say probably 80 90% of the, of the food industry agrees that there is a proper way to make food there is a proper way to grow it and eat it and and, and um uh, use it to where it doesn't like the environmental impact is not that large and i think now the food industry is coming to terms with that yes women do deserve a place and they're on equal standing as men but i think the last thing that needs to be looked at is really about you know pay for food workers um also benefits because you've you've known the the struggle where you want to you want to call out but you can't because you don't have sick leave or you want to call out but you know they're going to tell you oh you don't have a job the next day like we need to remove that from the food industry um but i think that it is heading in a in a positive direction it is heading in a good direction and 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 i'm kind of excited to see where the future of the industry heads yes totally agree man well kevin i must have this i must say Thank you, buddy, for like taking the time of your busy day to come on the Chef King Cook podcast. And I want you to know that I'm a huge fan of yours, of your podcast, the Critical Chef podcast, where you know your dialogue and everything that you talk about is is very resonate with a lot of people. And I want you to know that I'm your biggest fan. And Feel free, please, to let the people know where they can listen to your podcast and where they can find you, because I think is your podcast is something to take a big look at. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that, uh, Manny. Uh, well, uh, once again, uh, just thank you, and thank you to everybody who's listening. 
Uh, you guys can find me. Uh, my podcast is the uh, the Critical Chef podcast. Uh, it's available on all streaming services. Uh, you guys can uh, hit me up on Instagram at the Critical Chef Podcast. That's our Instagram. Uh, the Gmail is the Critical Chef Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, episodes drop, uh, I would say, like every one to two weeks if things aren't crazy. But, uh, you know, just be ready to have an open mind and an open ear when you come to listen to the episode because, like Manny says, some of the topics might be a little controversial or might be a different perspective than you've heard. But uh, other than that, you know, thank you very much, and I appreciate the opportunity, man. Thank you. Thank you, dude. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Kelvis. I'll definitely reach out to you, man, you know, and I can't wait to come on your show. So. Oh, yeah, definitely, you know, definitely. We got to do that. Definitely collab again. Thank right. you, buddy. All right, brother. Take care.